0: baseball isn't just numbers 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 this game is not being played on computers you don't do that with a bunch of statistical gimmicks you don't put a team together with a computer Pew. we're talking weighted runs created plus expected wOBA, sweet
1: spot rate defensive runs above average average exit velocity barrel rate xfip BABIP, s-i-e-r-a we are above replacement radio, radio. And welcome to Buffalo Place Placement Radio, where we're talking baseball kind of whenever. I'm your host, Chris Chianta. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Kern. How you doing, Daniel?
0: Chris, I'm doing very well today. It was a very nice weekend of baseball. It was a very nice weekend for both of us. We did some traveling. Uh, we did some baseball watching as well. But uh, we got two games of each series, of each division series to go over. We've had some twists and turns in each of them. Some have gone as planned. Some have gone uh, not as planned at all uh and we got yeah we got some things to talk about
1: yeah and and i mean not only is one of them not going to be a sweep two of them are not going to be sweeps we're going to get some extra baseball out of this it's crazy
0: (laughs) we might we might get a game four (laughs) yeah how about that
1: we're going to get a game four i mean i don't want to get cocky here but there could be a winner take all game uh out of this uh out of this round here but um I tell you where it is somewhat unlikely considering that a team just went up 2-0 uh and is taking it taking the series back home and that is where the uh where the d- divisional round started is with the uh, Baltimore and the Texas Rangers where the Rangers are up 2-nothing on the Orioles who had the best record in the American League this year um yeah, like uh, they're up to nothing. I mean, what what have your what have your thoughts been on on this particular series?
0: Yeah, unfortunately, I haven't been able to watch too much of it, but I followed it when I could. And um, you know, we we were concerned about Baltimore's rotation um going into this series, especially paired up with the Rangers offense that had, you know, looked really good against Tampa and also looked really good uh, all year round. and you know, game one was definitely a little bit more of a pitcher's duel. It was a 3-2 to two game. Um, and, you know, the Rangers had some some quality hitting with runners in scoring position, I believe, in the fourth. Uh, and then Josh Young hit a homer to center field later in the game for the third run. Um, The Orioles fought until the end, but, uh, you know, ultimately it came down to uh, Gunnar Henderson getting thrown out at second base, a great throw there by uh, Jonah Heim. And I don't know if you saw this, Chris, but it was actually... Uh, there was a hidden run sign that Aaron Hicks completely whiffed on.
1: Oh, I did yeah, I didn't I did not know that.
0: That's what Brandon Hyde said after the game was that he gave Hicks the hidden and run and he didn't swing. And it was wow. I'm pretty sure even a strike too. If it wasn't, it was at least, you know, a good pitch to at least swing at cuz Hyde made a great throw on him.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was it was enough to where you can't fully, you know, it wasn't in the dirt. That's like the only excuse. Mm-hmm not to not to go on the hit and run mm-hmm. yeah, yeah that is uh that is something and i'm trying to see uh where uh where it ranks here yeah it was according to you know the calculations uh mm-hmm. so it had it had the second highest impact uh of all plays in the game was that caught stealing um it was the second most impactful in terms of win probability added um yeah. it increased increased the rangers win probability by 22 percent, which is pretty crazy so so yeah i mean it kind yeah. of and it, and it was kind of a tumble down effect like mm-hmm. that pitch made it three to three and one um that you know it was two and one and i think that's why they wanted to do the hit and run because it was a favorable count mm-hmm. to the hitter that made it three one but then uh leclerc came back and struck hicks out and then bam it's it's no runners on you go from right. Man on first, nobody out. To nobody on, two outs. It was it was quite the gut punch there.
0: I don't know. Yeah, it, and it makes sense that it was a hit and run sign because if you watch the replay of Gunnar Henderson running, he looks like he watches the pitch as he's running. Which you know, if you're stealing a base competitively, that's not what you're supposed to do. They teach you that pretty early on. Um, mm-hmm. And it makes sense as he was looking for a swing, right? I mean, there's no outs. Like if you gotta watch for you know, a line drive or a fly ball that you can, you know, pause or go back on. And obviously there ended up being no swing. So then he kind of realized midway through, oh, I got to just run this out and hope I make it. And, you know, credit to Jonah Heim. He made a really, really good throw. I'm trying to see if they, uh, if there's like a percentage on the caught stealing rate, if they count that for the regular season Oh, they or for the playoffs, they do. I'm looking at that oh, right yeah. now.
1: Yeah. What the, uh, what the it odds looked were. like
0: It looked like there was a, it was a tough throw to make. Like he, it was on the money. It was, oh, Gunnar Henderson got a good jump. It uh, looks like they don't have. Oh wait, minimum stolen base attempt.
1: One. Yeah, like, I don't know. I I remember watching it, and it seemed it seemed like Henderson was going to be out, and I think that goes into the you know narrative of you know obviously it was a it was a hit and run.
0: Yeah. Uh, so the attempt, the uh, estimated caught stealing percentage on that throw, according to Statcast, was twenty six percent. Um, and Jonah Heim made a like I said, a really good throw to get him. So, uh, yeah. credit to yeah, credit to Jonah Heim, He made a you know, I mean, obviously, you know the the, the hit and run. You got if if you give the sign, you got to swing, even if the bad, even if it's a bad pitch. You know, even if you swing and miss, it still makes it a tiny bit harder for the catcher, but. Regardless of all that, Jonaheim had a really tough throw he needed to make and he did a perfect job.
1: Yeah, it was yeah, one out of four chance that you're that you're getting in there and, and Heim got him. Like that's uh yeah. that's pretty excellent. Um, you know, he's he's been a pretty good defensive catcher all year, so you know, it mm. makes makes a bit of sense. Um so yeah, I mean, that was kind of the exclamation point of the Orioles sort of offensive struggles on uh on saturday for game one uh they had some trouble you know driving runners in as uh yeah as as it you know pointed out i mean they only scored two but with runners in scoring position they were 0 for four uh with three pop-ups and a ground ball double play i mean some of the worst results you can get because you know the pop-ups it's it's not a matter of of bad luck obviously that you know they didn't land as hits Those are supposed to be outs, Um, specifically Adam Frazier with two outs and uh, men on first and second. He popped out against Dane Dunning, which is kind of hard to do, Um, but that was in the bottom of the fourth. That was in the bottom of the fourth Um, with a man on second and one out. Gunnar Henderson popped up against Andrew Heaney in the bottom of the fourth. Um, Easy to do. Yeah, much easier to do. And then um, I'm trying to find where the other pop fly was uh, here in the here in the game log. Um, But it did happen. There was there was another one. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, much of much of playoff games can be decided on who does better with runners in scoring position. And yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the explainer for what happened on Saturday.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the Rangers have done a really good job of that, or at least, you know, in the first three games that they played in the postseason of uh, getting, you know, inducing the right kind of contact as pitchers, right? Not a lot of, uh, and, and you saw it there with runners in scoring position, you know, they didn't, uh, you know, three pop-ups on a ground ball uh, with runners in scoring position. That's as good as it gets, basically. I mean, I, the only thing that's better would have been four pop-ups, but, yeah, I mean they've done yeah. a really nice job of, uh, of doing that all postseason.
1: Yeah, and and the ground ball came in a, in a double play opportunity, which yep. uh, which is fantastic. So, so yeah, I mean they they really came through. Like timely pitching has been, uh, very good for the Rangers. I mean, not that they needed much timely pitching against the Rays because they were usually up, um, but you know they've they've come through when they, when they've needed to, and you know that was the biggest you know detractor for people when predicting against the Rangers was their pitching staff. And mm-hmm. um, you know, at least in the first three games of the postseason, they've shown to uh they've shown to really come through in the big moments. Uh speaking of, you know, a a guy you wouldn't expect to really succeed that much, but did was Andrew Heaney, who, you know, he was obviously the, the Rangers third option out of uh out of the starting rotation because he didn't pitch in the wild card round. He Um, you know, he didn't strike out much. He, he only struck out one batter in three and two thirds innings, but he limited, he limited the good amount, the good kind of contact, uh, only one out of 12 of the batted balls he allowed were both hard hit and in the sweet spot zone, that eight to 32 degree zone, um, where, you know, hitters hit five ninety and slug 1100. That's the sweet spot zone. And he avoided that with avoid you know he avoided that and hard hit balls in those zones uh he had an eight percent rate of hard hit sweet spot uh batted balls whereas the league average this year was 18 percent so you know your average pitcher on 12 batted balls is going to give up you know two or three you know heart batted balls hard hit and it's in the sweet spot zone whereas you know andrew heaney only gave, gave up one and it you know was was a limited damage uh batted ball it was it was a double um that had a 13 degree launch angle so it wasn't getting it out of the park so so yeah like Heaney did a wonderful job of limiting the you know the the harmful contact that you know can can get a rally going
0: yeah um and anecdotally speaking i uh, like i said the rangers have done a good job of that all postseason and the first three games that they played being you know the two games against tampa Tampa Bay, and the one game, the game won against Baltimore, uh, they allowed 70 total batted balls, and only six of them were hard hit and in the sweet spot. And that is an 8.6% rating for a three-game total among all their pitchers, um, which was the only team of the playoffs that had a lower rating was the Blue Jays, who, you know, uh, obviously have not played as much as the, uh, the Rangers have. Yeah. Right? Uh, and also one of the three they gave up, unfortunately, was a home run. And uh, they did not have the fortune of scoring as many runs right. as the Rangers did in that first round. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, the Rangers have arguably had uh, the most effective pitching staff all postseason in terms of getting the right kind of contact. And even if you just uh, – if you separate it to just sweet spot percentage, I believe they, have a, they had a 30% sweet spot rate against um, in those first three games, which was among the lowest uh, in – you know, among all of the playoff teams. And they also had a thirty-two point nine percent hard hit rate, which was the lowest of all playoff teams. Doesn't matter how many games they played. Um and obviously game two was a bit of a different story, but you know, they still got the job done.
1: Yeah, they got the they got the job done and, and you know, they were able to make it so that they had control of the game from the second inning second inning on. Orioles, you know, shut it down in the first inning, lead the You know, Rangers leave them loaded in the top of the first. Then the Orioles score two in the bottom of the first. But then there's a five-run rally by the Rangers to make it, uh, to make it five to two. Um, yeah, like they, uh, the the Rangers, you know, they had a little bit of good luck on their side, but only for a couple hits. But really, you know, like just attacked and attacked and kept attacking with runners in scoring position to make it a five run rally and then the next inning is a grand slam um really really puts things in a good spot for the rangers
0: yeah i mean it was nine to two at one point right And the final was 11 to eight so yeah orioles did fight back and you know even if it's a loss i feel like that is some kind of momentum that they can go off of going into texas because they're going to need it obviously they're down to nothing um but yeah the rangers have looked really good all postseason you know their offense has been timely they've hit with the runners in scoring position Uh, and as we kind of mentioned their pitching has gotten the right kind of contact for you know most of the time obviously game three was a little bit different but or game two was a little bit different of that Orioles series but you know they they still came out with a win
1: yeah and I think the difference maker game two was walks uh the Mm -hmm. Rangers walked 11 times you know that's you know half credit to the Rangers offense half um unfortunate you know half discredit to what the Orioles pitching staff was doing and you know I'm not like I'm not gonna say that uh one thing is the main difference and when I when I make this analogy I know that the game would be managed if if things didn't happen in this in this order and maybe the game result would be different but what led up to the Mitch Garver Grand Slam was three walks like and mm-hmm. you know those those were obviously all driven in, and the Rangers won by three. They they won by those three by those three walks. And I, I um unfortunately I, di- I didn't check how many of those walks scored, but I imagine it was a it was a pretty large if amount. There were,
0: if there were eleven runs scored and eleven walks, uh, it, it, probably a decently high number.
1: Yeah, probably like six or seven. Mm-hmm. And uh and yeah, shout out to Corey Seeker getting the playoff playoff uh playoff game walks record. Love to yep. see that
0: big, big time. Yeah. Who, who do you know? Who owned the record previously? Who we know? Did they ever say?
1: There were like eighteen guys tied with four.
0: Okay, fair enough.
1: So yeah, Seeger be- would have just been one of those nineteen yeah. guys, but yep. he went out and got that fifth walk. Luckily, yeah. he had like six plate appearances to work with, so helped him yeah, out. Didn't
0: he? Didn't he? Didn't he like swing at ball four at one point too in the at bat where he didn't walk?
1: I feel like he. I feel like he did. I I he do know that it ended. So desperately
0: wanted anything to hit.
1: It ended. It ended on a strike, but I I didn't keep track closely of like whether he fouled off a pitch before that. He mm-hmm. he might have fouled off a ball. Right. Um, and uh, although the Orioles did lose Game Two, Jorge Mateo had himself quite the day. He went yeah. four for four with two doubles. And he is the fourth player in MLB history to get four plus hits and two plus doubles in a game in his first two career playoff games. Fourth player in MLB history to do that. So uh yeah, shout out Jorge Mateo. No people won't really remember, but we're gonna try to do that because yeah, he's, yeah, he's pretty unbelievable. Yeah, um
0: that is what we do. Um, so I feel like we should kind of preview these these couple games going on in Texas now because the Orioles uh are playing with their backs to the wall. They're trying to avoid uh the entire AL East going winless in the playoffs and Dean Kramer is starting game three against Nathan Avaldi. Um do we think it's over or do we think the Orioles uh would find a way to squeak at least one out and force a game four where it would be probably Grayson or probably be uh the, the game one starters Bradish and uh Heaney?
1: Yeah, I mean like so it's it's a it's it's an interesting situation where like yeah it, it could be like a don't wet don't let us win today scenario mm-hmm. for the orioles um yeah. because you know it's like if we win this game then we got bradish going game four who is who did pretty well and then anything could happen game five and you're at home game five as well which gives you a, a decent advantage they have a good crowd over there at camden yards but i mean that crowd did look good if big game Nate shows up like he did against the right it's over it's it's unquestionably over um you know the Rangers offense I think will match up decently against Dean Creamer. um they've been doing well especially in high leverage situations lately they've been doing well pretty much the whole offseason you could arguably argue outside of the Diamondbacks maybe the best offense of this postseason so far and and yeah like I mean this is a big, big starting pitching mismatch. The Rangers are getting their first home game of the playoffs. I think they're going to be, I think they're going to be psyched up over there. They've, I mean, they've Mm -hmm. seen this team go from, you know, a very low, low of having to face the Rays after, you know, the day before being in the lead in the AL West to winning four straight road games. I mean, they're, they're going to be pumped up over there at Globe life. It's going to be their first playoff game at home at that stadium. Um, which is uh, which is you know something else. So yeah, I mean I, I have a hard time thinking that the Orioles are going to win this next game.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I picked Orioles in five. Um, so I feel like I can't just deviate that from now and change my guess to Rangers in three. So, um, you know, I mean, I think you know, I think the Orioles are capable of winning. I mean, right? Like all, like I've said, all they've done all season is defy what was expected of them. You know, we had them in last in the AL East. They won 101 games. Um, and I don't know. It just feels like they can't go out like this, but also they very much could because this is a team that doesn't have a lot of poses and experience. You know, this is a first for them. And, you know, ideally, you know, people say like the they'll be back, they'll be back thing is like a cliche, but it feels like impossible to not say with the Orioles. Um, right.
1: Yeah. This is just the start with them, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. that's or at least that's you know the hope like if they're not back then something went horribly wrong because they still have you know Jordan Westbrook to develop they still have Colton Kowser to develop they still have Heston Kerstad to develop and they still have Jackson Holiday in the minors who yeah had like a 990 OPS this year as a 19 year old at like three different levels four different levels
1: and also like Bruchman and Henderson are both very young and still could be getting could be getting better like mm-hmm. I could see Henderson being a seven win, eight win player, um, you know, as he, as he gets better, but you know, not eulogizing the Orioles yet, obviously. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, I guess you could, you could make the point that there might be a little bit of pressure on the Rangers because yeah, I mean, this is, this is their pitching mismatch. You know, the Orioles already had their pitching mismatch in game one and potentially game four. So the Rangers have a little bit bit of pressure to execute here because then they go into the pitching mismatch that goes in favor of the Orioles. And then it's game five if they, if they don't win that one. So there's a little bit of pressure here, but I, I think the Rangers will, will execute on it.
0: I want to see the Orioles win one. Like I feel like they're just too good of a team to get swept out of these playoffs, but you know, crazy things have happened, right?
1: Yeah. I want to see, I want to see four game fives. I think it would be, yeah, cool. I want to see that. Um, yep. But yeah it, it does feel like too too much or like too much to just get swept in the first round you don't want to see that mm-hmm. um so yeah now on to the next series uh astros and twins um i think we would both agree like a little surprised uh right now that that we're talking about a, a 1-1 series tie um it's things haven't gone as disastrous for the astros as it has for the orioles and dodgers obviously, but. Uh, you know, I think the Astros are a little disappointed disappointed in the results. Um, but game one, they they take it. Um, I my my random my most random prediction comes true. Yeah, Jose true.
0: first pitch, dude. Yeah. First pitch, four seamer up and in, and he takes it to the train tracks. I think the only incorrect prediction there was you said Crawford boxes, and he hit it over the Crawford boxes.
1: Yeah, I guess. Yeah, and. <laughs> and I
0: you're not. I, you're I'm, not quite Mike Blowers.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I, I tweeted it out, and at the end there's a bit of a cut on Crawford boxes, but I, I did say off Joe Ryan, and Joe Ryan, oh, did, whatever,
0: did well, not whatever. pitch.
1: But we, yeah. we assumed he was pitching Game Three, but I forgot Ober was. I forgot how good Ober was doing. Um, yeah,
0: Ober, his outing I think kind of went like as I would have expected because he's a guy that. You know he has very good strikeout to walk numbers, and he gives up a lot of home runs. And if you look at his outing, he had good strikeout to walk numbers. I don't think he walked a single batter, um, but he gave up two home runs, one to Altuve, and then he gave up another one to Jordan.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and Jordan, um, no matter what the score was, he was <laughs> he was coming through. And yeah, he only
0: pitched he only pitched three innings, <clears throat> struck out two batters, walked none, uh, and then yeah, two home runs.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> three innings, two two strikeouts, no walks. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and the Astros win game one six to four. There's a little bit of a scare <clears throat> at the uh at the end where you know the Twins have a four run inning, and you know it looks like they could come back, but luckily for the luckily for the Astros, Brian Abreu and Ryan Pl- Presley shut it down. Um, there was a big problem with the twins, you know, executing with runners in scoring position. They went one for 12 with runners in scoring position with six strikeouts and two ground ball double plays. So eight of the worst possible outcomes on 12 opportunities, or I think 13 opportunities, because there was a walk in there. But, um, but yeah, I think that that was the difference maker, because outside of that three run home run, they were over for, for 11 with, with runners in scoring position. Um, you know, not that the, Astros necessarily did a crazy amount with runners in scoring position. They scored a lot off of home runs, but um, but yeah, I, just another example of like you really need to come through in the big moments. And I guess the Astros came through in the big moments from a pitching standpoint.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, in game one, though, you know the it was what's was it six to nothing when or no it was five to nothing when uh, when Hector Neris came in to relieve um, Justin Verlander. And like the twins jumped on him, like he faced six batters and threw eighteen pitches.
1: Hmm. Yeah.
0: Um. And he even and he got two strikeouts too. So like, you know, <laughs> when they were hit, like, because if I'm looking at this this pitch, you know, this uh pitch breakdown here, the first batter he faced was Matt Walner. He hit him on the second pitch of the at bat, and then uh Ryan Jeffers hit a first pitch single. Um. So that was you know automatically two on and none out, right? And then he strikes out Willie Castro on actually like quite a few pitches strikes out edward julian on three and then jorge polanco hits the home run on the third pitch royce lewis homers on the second pitch and then he's out so i mean like they they jumped on naris in a way that they just didn't do so with verlander and it paid off because they you know they tagged him for for four runs
1: yeah yeah it was it was very very interesting especially naris like you feel like Neris, he's high strikeout, high, high walk kind of guy. So you would mm-hmm. expect him to have, you know, higher pitch counts, but only three pitches per uh, per batter faced. Yeah, I mean. Um,
0: and even then, still two strikeouts.
1: Still two strikeouts. Yeah, it's crazy.
0: Still, still 27 Ks per nine, actually. Um, only got yeah, right, outs. exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, 27 strikeouts per nine. Um, So, yeah, uh, Verlander, you know, looked pretty good out there he you know he did allow he allowed seven base runners but you know never as meant as shown you know the twins did not you know execute with runners in scoring position so he he got out with six shutout innings six strikeouts um what was interesting to me like this surprised me that he didn't get more strikeouts verlander had a 38 percent whiff rate on the day um on sliders particularly it was 11 swings eight swings and misses and uh on all breaking pitches he had 12 out of 21 whiffs, uh, for a 57% rate, and <clears throat> out of his 32 playoff appearances in the pitch tracking era since 2008, uh, this playoff start had the highest whiff rate on his breaking pitches. So, you know, the old the old man still got it in the tank at least with the breaking stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, it it kind of solidified a bit of confidence because he's he's very up and down in the playoffs some sometimes.
0: Yeah, no, but he looked he looked legit. I mean, he looked like the guy that they traded for um in that game. Right? I mean, six shutout innings, three walks three walks and six strikeouts is you know, you could ask for less walks, but regardless, how many hits did he give up? Like not a lot, right? Yeah. Four hits, yeah. Yeah. And I mean the- he got the twins to ground into two double plays as well. He had a lot of uh, at least early in the start he had a lot of ground balls i think like 6 of the first 9 batted balls were 8 degrees or lower
1: yeah which you Norlander. know especially with a runner on first less than 2 outs that's that's pretty that's pretty crucial so uh, maybe a little bit of pitching to the situation there mm-hmm. um so yeah like that that's a good sign because i think one of the things we pointed out uh, heading into the series was the Astros pitching is not the same as it was last year. You know, obviously Verlander is not exactly the same as he was last year with him not being a Cy Young winner this year, <clears throat> albeit a good pitcher. But you know, Frambert Valdez's ERA, I think, increased. Christian Javier is not really close to the same pitcher he was uh last year. So, you know, it's a good sign to have that top of the rotation deliver in, in the first game of the playoffs like you need it, like you need him to.
0: Yeah. No, it was it was a really good start for Verlander. Obviously, the bullpen uh, wasn't great, but um, yeah, I mean, he looked very impressive for you know, the fact that he looked visibly older throughout the regular season and the fact that, you know, there were some question marks with the Astros rotation specifically, and he kind of looked like he was going to shut those down uh, early in that start, and he did.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I I need to – I should double-check <clears> – <throat> How many batters he faced uh, on the night? Yeah, he faced 24 batters, six strikeouts. So, you know, a 25% strikeout rate is pretty nice there. Um, so, yeah, and then game two, it kind of is like the opposite game. Um, You know, Twins execute more with runners in scoring position. Astros execute less with runners in scoring position. There's a Twins pitcher who's dominating on the starting pitching front. Um, in Pablo Lopez and yeah, Lopez had a really, really interesting game, seven innings, one walk, no runs, seven strikeouts, but also a 78.5, seven, 78.5 mile per hour, average exit velocity against along with a 26% sweet spot rate against that, you know, the, the average sweet spot rate is around 33% and he was at 26 and out of the 111 playoff starts with hundred plus pitches thrown in the Statcast era, Lopez's Sunday start had the lowest average exit velocity against, or lowest average exit velocity against. Um, so yeah, it was it was interesting. Not that he didn't give up a lot of hard contact, but he also gave up a crazy amount of soft contact. He had he had a uh, he had seven batted balls with sub seventy mile per hour exit velocities, uh, which were the most batted balls of those uh, of those types of um exit velocities um in a in a stat cast era playoff game so yeah i mean all in all this is to say he really came through like didn't allow too much hard contact uh struck out a good amount of guys and also you know in the big situations came through to you know go seven shot seven shutout innings
0: yeah no he uh i wasn't able to watch this game unfortunately but uh, you know, I looked at the stat sheet and kind of looked back at his outing, and he he looked like an ace, right? I mean, he looked like the cliche playoff ace. Like I, the stat, I think the stat was like he was the third Twins pitcher to go seven shutout innings in a playoff start behind, um, or it was like I forget what the stat was, but it was like seven shutout innings and in like X amount of strikeouts in a playoff game behind like Jack Morris and Johan Santana. Um, Which are, you know, when you think of twins playoff aces, those are the two that come to mind. And I think, I'm assuming it's only twins history because Walter Johnson definitely did that too.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 <laughs> Not exactly. counting the Washington Senators here. Yeah. No. The senators erasure is very concerning, but I get it. People have their narratives. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, they don't want
0: to see, they don't want to have the big train in there 16 times.
1: Right. So I want to clog the list up with, uh, with the wiser wonder shout out to <laughs> shout out to his Idaho league days um <laughs> or so, yeah southern Idaho league or something like that it was crazy um Framber Valdez I, I don't have much in the notes here but um unfortunate outing from Framber Valdez who allows five earned runs in four and a third innings pitched also allows a home run in that and the twins just seem to they seem to drive run drive runners in better than they did previous game.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean they looked the the offense looked good and there's one thing in particular that I wanted to hit on uh that really impressed me with this game in particular for the twins. Um unfortunately, I was not able to watch this game as I already mentioned I was at a wedding. Um so shout out to Dylan and Shannon, but uh, you know, afterwards I looked at the highlights, and there was one thing that really impressed me, and it was in the. What what inning was it? Um, whatever inning it was when Carlos Correa hit that had that uh, two run single up the middle against Fred Valdez, but uh, I think that was the fifth inning. Yeah, that was the fifth inning. It made it five nothing. So Carlos Correa comes up in the fifth inning, uh, bases loaded. I believe it was one out, and. Uh, he ends up hitting a single off of Framber Valdez, his former teammates, and that gave gave the Twins a uh five nothing lead, uh, which was you know kind of the uh with how Pablo Lopez was pitching that kind of sealed the deal with that game. But what really impressed there was a lot more that really impressed me when you dive deeper into this. So the uh single that Carlos Correa hit was off a Framber Valdez sinker that was uh just below the strike zone. And uh, I don't know exactly the the amount of feet it was off the ground, but it was between one foot and one and a half feet off the ground, uh, which is generally like just below the strike zone maybe touching the hair of the bottom of it. Uh, Point being, we know who Framer Valdez is as a pitcher. He is a ground ball god. He gets a lot of guys to roll over on his sinker specifically. And he's you know you look at you look at the the ground ball rate leaderboard in any year since twenty twenty one you're probably going to see Framber Valdez towards the top of it if not at the top, and one thing I looked at was since twenty twenty one there have been going into that at bat there have been forty five batted balls that people have hit against Framber Valdez either in the regular season or the playoffs that were sinkers at one to one and a half feet above the above the ground, and those batted balls produced an 80% ground ball rate. Uh, 35 or 36 out of 45 of those batted balls uh, produced a ground ball. And Carlos Correa made a 36 out of 46. Um, and Chris, you've highlighted Carlos Correa a lot this year, specifically with his ground ball related struggles, uh, especially with runners on in high leverage situations. He's a guy that's hit into a lot of double plays this year. Um, and, you know, he's just struggled a lot. In those scenarios, with keeping the ball off the ground, uh, and this was a situation where, when you do the math, he should have hit a ground ball, but he he was able to <laughs> somehow get under that Framber Valdez sinker that was below the strike zone and outside, by the way, and hit a sweet line drive into center field, like as perfect as of a hit as it gets in that situation. Ninety seven miles an hour, um, fourteen degree launch angle, I believe it was. There was no one catching it, and uh, you know we you talk about guys that struggle in the regular season that find it in the postseason like the the, you know the the example that comes to mind was Cody Bellinger in 2021 right he had a miserable regular season and then in the playoffs he delivered the game-winning hit that propelled the Dodgers over the Giants the 107 win Giants in the NLDS. and that's kind of Carlos Correa's version he takes a pitch from Framber Valdez that that by all accounts should have been a ground ball and he ropes it into center field for a line drive
1: yeah Correa I, I highlighted his Issues with runners, you know, runner on first and less than two outs, which is the double play scenario. And yeah, during the regular season, he had a seventy percent ground ball rate with a runner on first and less than two outs. That was a situation. That was base's loaded one out. and uh, instead of instead of grounding into a double play, uh, I believe he drives in two runs there. So um yeah, and and it's and it's off the most difficult pitch. Not to ground, you know, not to put into the ground. It's a Framber Valdez sinker that is one to one and a half feet above the ground. Um, and yeah, I think you make a good point where he could redeem himself in these playoffs. You know, the fact that he only was able to get like one win above replacement, be a below average hitter, below, you know, well below average base runner, and you know, w- with decent defense, but albeit, you know, be kind of an average player this year, he can, you know, he can, he can write, you know, fix that narrative uh, with a, with a successful postseason. And, you know, he's done that. He's done that before. I know he did that in 2020. Um, Not that it was a long season, but you know, not the best regular season, but came through in the postseason. Um, As far as. as I know it's only,
0: by the way, I know it's only the first year, but how do you think the Mets and Giants were feeling watching that on, on Sunday? Like, do they think it's too soon to start thinking about the regret or are they thinking, man? Like we could have had that guy, but we passed on his his uh his you know his knee.
1: What's funny? What's funny is like, you could, like, he he didn't perform to the thirty million dollar year player that you know the Twins are paying him to be, and he he did have a lingering injury, but it was not what they weren't signing him for.
0: Yeah, it was an unrelated thing.
1: It was an unrelated thing. It was it was his plantar fasciitis or. Yeah, he had, he had plantar fasciitis. Um, his foot was just not good. And it was an ankle issue, which I know that ankle's near the foot, but it was a, it was an unrelated <laughs> injury or, or, or faltering there. Um, And yeah, I mean, you know, the Mets, the Mets and Giants, you know, to be fair, they're not in the playoffs and Carlos Correa wouldn't have gotten them into the playoffs, unfortunately. Um, And unless, you know, some, some things magically changed, but um but yeah but i mean it could it could develop over the next few years um as far as the rest of the series i mean what how do you how, how do you view this series differently or th- similarly to what you did before the series started
0: yeah the twins look good i mean you know i picked astros and four which is very much still in play um but i don't feel great about it i feel like the twins gotta at least take one of these games at target field coming up um you know, I it's it's gonna be fun. I'm very excited obviously to see what happens. But um these look like two very evenly matched teams right now. You know, like game one was attainable for the twins. Uh game two was less attainable for the Astros, but Pablo Lopez just looked so good out there. Um the Astros did get to the bullpen a little bit. They scored two runs, uh Jordan Homered. Um they scored another one. Uh, it was the Jordan Homer a two run homer.
1: Um, I forget.
0: I don't think it was. But yeah, uh, the teams look very... It looks like, other than maybe Philly's Braves, it looks like the most evenly matched series we have going right now.
1: Yeah, right, right, right. And yeah, for me... So I think... So I put Astros in four. And, you know, not that I'm saying that I should get credit after this, but I, I think how I look at it now, I think it'll be more like Astros in five. And let me tell you this is... It'll be it. It'll look up. It might look a little bit like the Philadelphia series last year for the Astros. They go down two to one after Sonny Gray does well against them. Christian Javier doesn't deliver like he did last year. They're down two one on the road in a pretty hectic uh, road environment. Justin Verlander comes in like he did in Game Five in Philadelphia. Has himself a good game. Does enough to win that game and bring it back to Houston where Framber Valdez comes in does very well like he did in game 6 against Philadelphia except it's game 5 against Minnesota that's my prediction I think I think the okay. Astros will take it in 5 now but if they take it in 4 I should also still get credit for that but either way
0: and also um, I think the Twins are going to win it in 4 and also I think the Twins are going to win it in 5 so yeah. if any of those happen you can credit me
1: Exactly so either it's it's potentially you know pre-series Chris is correct or mid-series Chris is correct or neither or the tw- or the twins win or the twins win or the <laughs> twins win um but that's that's my vision of it right now
0: I mean I feel and, like I feel like either uh, the Astros could also just win uh game three and five and then you're just completely wrong on everything
1: oh yeah that's true yeah I could be wrong <laughs> they could win um,
0: tonight lose tomorrow and then take it in five
1: yeah right 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 well um we'll have to stay tuned for it yeah. we'll, we'll see but i just i i just had that that um that visualization of, you just you of saw like, the script yeah because i'm because it's like this has happened before and mm-hmm. if 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 the twins win game three it's going into the it's going right into the vision um there. All right
0: yeah i mean i will say i don't love the matchup of christian javier facing the twins lineup right now um you know, it's, he's a guy that gives up a lot of fly balls, a lot of pop-ups, yes, but, you know, it's it's a matter of Kenny, like, when players hit in the air against Christian Javier tonight, which they will, you know, are they pop-ups, are they fly balls? Is he getting the ball in the air enough? Um, Because he's been giving up a lot of loud contact all year um, that have been turning into home runs. His home run rate has gone up pretty drastically this year, and this is a Twins lineup that hits a lot of homers, um, and, you know... Obviously, the the key to winning in the postseason, if we as we've seen, is hitting as many homers. I mean, look at that. You know, look at the Braves Phillies game from last night. The team that had four hits defeated the team with nine hits.
1: Yeah, because exactly. they hit
0: they hit two two run homers.
1: Exactly, exactly. Um. So yeah, anything more before we move on to to that series, Braves Phillies? Uh, no. no. Um. So yeah, Braves and Phillies are tied. I was prepared to come in disappointed that the that the series was not living up to the hype, but, um, but then
0: absolutely doing that.
1: It, it absolutely did that. Uh, Braves came back, uh, from four, nothing from down four nothing, uh, yesterday. But, um, that first game of the series should be talked about as well where, yeah, I mean, Braves, Braves came up short a little bit, you know, they, they, uh, that's, that's their pitching mismatch is Strider versus Suarez and, and Suarez and the Phillies uh one pretty hand handily with uh with a you know three nothing victory but ranger suarez was uh, producing very very good results for himself he had eight batted balls against him first of all three and two-thirds it means no runs four strikeouts one walk eight and batted one hit, balls. i believe right yeah eight batted balls against him none of them hard hit none of them with 500 plus expected batting averages which is you know 50 percent hit probability or higher he had he had none of those and then 19 19 of his pitches were in the heart of the zone that's something you want to avoid if you're a pitcher that's you know more middle of the strike zone the 2023 league regular season average was 26 percent, and Suarez was at 19 percent. so he was living more on the edges and you know trying to get chase pitches as well um so yeah I mean what have what have your thoughts been? What what were your thoughts on you know game one in general?
0: Yeah, I mean game one. I mean Mike Petriello kind of hammered this point on Twitter, and I'm glad he did because, uh, you know the Phillies t- took out Ranger Suarez, uh, after three and two thirds innings, uh, when he looked really good, and the bullpen shut down the best offense we've seen in possibly decades. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, because the game was only 3 nothing right and if if the bullpen had blown it we would have never heard the end of it and it would have been the lead talking point of that game and of the entire postseason in general because it'd be the second time people would have that narrative but we really haven't seen a lot of people talking about how uh you know giving rob Thompson credit for uh making that move and giving way to his bullpen and you know they did find themselves in some trouble but they got out of it um the the or the braves went what was it over Five with runners in scoring position
1: correct yeah
0: yeah and a lot of them were uh real like bases loaded double plays like there was a lot of tough uh, there was the whole ketter interference thing which i'm so glad we don't have to pretend like it mattered yeah. um <laughs> my god what a nightmare that was
1: yeah and and uh you know not to advance too far but you know the next day wheeler you know maybe the best pitcher in this postseason mm-hmm. um allows a couple of runs the third try, the third time through the lineup <laughs> not that you know i don't think it was a big conversation to take him out but i it, was gonna was say kind of like
0: not a lot of people were talking about the fact that maybe they left wheeler in too long and didn't go to the bullpen and i don't and i think that's fine like i i probably would have kept wheeler in as well he did look really good in those first six innings gave up one hit right yeah and yeah yeah, and two, if, hit, if two was, hits and one two hits in one run.
1: If there's a guy you're not taking out, it's it's Zach Wheeler right yeah. now.
0: And um, I get it, like I like I said, I wouldn't have took taking him out as well. But you know, if people talk about keeping him in the same way they talk about taking a guy out, you know, there would be a yeah. lot more talk about it.
1: Exactly, exactly. And you can um, make a
0: case that lost in the game.
1: Yeah, um, and this isn't to discredit the Phillies pitching staff, but. As far as the Braves went on game one, in game one, and, you know, I, I look—I didn't look at it till later, and it made me panic a little less about the Braves' offense in those first, you know, 15 innings, I guess, or 14 innings, mm-hmm. was in game one, the Braves were 3-for-8 on batted balls with 500-plus expected batting averages. You know, 3-for-8 on batted balls that should be hits most of the time. The league hit 758 on such batted balls, and the Braves were, I believe, 375 with that, with them being, uh, three for eight. So they, you know, they, they had some unfortunate luck. Uh, I know that, you know, that Matt Olson, uh, fly out to center field with, with, uh, I think men on first and second, um, that was a barrel with a 500, uh, expected batting average. I think it was just hit a little bit too much to the deeper part of the park, uh, that, that double play, that amazing, uh, double play that Trey Turner turned, um, Mm -hmm.
0: That was, all uh,
1: that was 103 off the bat, five degree launch angle. I think that was a 590 expected batting average. And it ended up being two outs. So the Braves ran into a little bit of bad luck themselves, especially yeah. from the sixth inning on, where they um I actually looked it up. Uh from the sixth inning on the Braves slugged 154, but had a five forty one expected slugging. So um yeah. so yeah, they they had a bl- bit of unfortunate luck and also didn't strike out in that in those uh, last four innings, which that was is true. Which was pretty crazy uh to not, you know, execute in those moments. But
0: however, it was in those a little bit of in those luck. first in those first five innings, they had three uh at at-bats with runners in scoring position and they struck out on all of them. There was the Michael yeah. Harris strikeout with the bases loaded against um against Jeff Hoffman. Acuna struck out. And who struck out after Acuna? It was was it Albies? No, it was Riley against Alvarado.
1: Yeah, they, they didn't necessarily come through uh, in those, in those types of situations and yeah, three strikeouts, I mean, you're not putting the ball in play. Um, but yeah, and then the the other two were the Matt Olson barrel to center field that was caught. And then the Ozzy Albies, uh, double play, uh, which, you know, 590 expected batting average, you know, it's not on Albies. It's just an amazing, amazing play by Trey Turner, um, that was able to, uh, you know, kind of solidify that victory toward the end and, and keep it And keep it that way so yeah so that was game one
0: did you see all of the all of the reaction on twitter about like changing the playoff format because the like the the top seeds were struggling like ken rosenthal wrote an entire column on the athletic talking about how like maybe this isn't the way to go because like the braves have struggled and the dodgers lost last year and they lost this year and the orioles are losing this year and then like you know, all that. Have you, did you see that at all?
1: Yeah. The, the, um, I, I meant to read Ken Rosenthal's column, but, mm-hmm. you know, things, things got in the way. But as far as, yeah, like, I think you made a, you made a good point last year when we were having like this exact conversation. And you said, like, you know, the, as far as this format versus the last format that we had, which was, you know, the two wild card games. And, and then the, uh, and then the division series after was, you know, some team, some teams, you know, started their division series on Thursday, but some teams also started it Friday, which was, you know, four days of rest. And now they're starting it on Saturday, which is five days of rest is one more day of rest for these teams. So, yeah, I mean, looking at the results, like, I understand how you can draw those conclusions sort of, because you know, last year the Dodgers lost. They're losing right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, yeah, Braves lost. Yankees also struggled. Um, to you know, kind of struggled, but also won game you. one. Um,
0: and then there's and then there's the and then there's the Astros.
1: Then there's the Astros.
0: Those who have no problem. I think game two of the Phillies Brave series, we could officially like put that narrative to rest. Even yeah, if I, even if the Phillies I, end up winning at four, like. They they won a tough game in game two.
1: Yeah, it yeah for sure, and you know in Not game that, one but they
0: they won a game they that they theoretically should have lost like they were losing four to nothing.
1: Yeah, and and even game one they ran into a little bit of you know bad batted ball luck. Mm-hmm. Also, you know it wasn't like their offense was completely dead. They didn't strike out from the sixth inning on. So, you know it was it was a little bit of unfortunate, uh, luck. But, yeah, like. I'm hoping we can put that narrative to rest because I don't, I don't want people campaigning for a new playoff format. This yeah. seems, this seems to work all right, but
0: yeah, the only thing that could be better right now is the wild card series. Yeah. Cause we need more, we definitely need more competitiveness there and we just haven't seen it in the three years that they've done it between 2020, 22 and 23.
1: Yeah. It's, it's unfortunate, very unfortunate. Um, but yeah, with game two, uh, Phillies go up, you know, Max Fried has a has sort of a rough outing, unfortunately, for him, back-to-back rough playoff outings for him in his career. And then uh and then yeah, the Philly or the the Braves kind of start to come back. There was a there was a big play for them to score that first run. And 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 I don't think a lot of people are talking about it, it was, you know, I think Ozzie Albis hits one in the right field, Acuna goes first to third um Castellanos not at the quickest rate throws it in doesn't really I don't know if he had an intended target but it bounces goes off Turner's glove and it kind of goes into nowhere and Acuna with Acuna on the bases anything's possible and he goes and scores and that was kind of the difference maker you know we'll get into the home runs but that kind of uh you know that was it ended up making a big difference
0: I mean, that was good, aggressive base running. If you watch the replay, Acuna was watching the play the whole time, and the second it skipped off Turner's glove, he was gone. Um, and there was just no way it was getting him. Yeah, that was good heads-up base running by Acuna there. Um, And, yeah, it did make a difference because he wouldn't have scored later, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, there was... There were a, <clears> a, a lot of,
0: a lot of this little things. Right, in this,
1: immediately after.
0: A lot of little things in that Braves comeback that really made a huge difference. We'll get to the... Uh, the final play later but uh yeah that's how the Braves scored their first run and then um uh you know the two run home run the first home was hit by Travis Darno off of Zach Wheeler and you know it took him out of the game Braves were only down 43 um and then uh in the eighth inning Acuna got hit by a pitch to lead off the inning and then Austin Riley hit that slider he hooked it down the line and you had some stats on Jeff Hoffman who gave up the homer right
1: yeah and it- it was it was curiosity for me because i had not really heard much about jeff hoffman but he had a really good year this year he did Um, he's a 518 native uh where where where's he from
0: uh shaker high he's from i think uh i think latham which is like 15 20 minutes from me
1: nice yeah not, um, not a very
0: good night for him last night but he did get a base loaded strikeout on friday
1: yeah yeah and he had a he had a two four one ERA, two four one ERA this year, two five six expected ERA, and um he's particularly excelled on his slider. Hit- hitters were slugging in the low one, like low one mm-hmm. hundreds, uh against his slider, and yeah he just he just misplaced it against Riley. It was it was kind of middle of the zone, um or at least middle of the uh mm-hmm. of the zone in a lap, from a lateral sense, and that was only the second home run he'd given up on a slider all year but that was his 91st plate appearance ending on the slider. Um, So heading into that at bat, he had, you know, pretty much a 1% home run rate against his slider, whereas like the league average is 3%. Uh, So, you know, that was a, that was a pitch to trust, but Austin Riley really, you know, got it. Part of it was, is on Hoffman for mislocating it, but Riley um, did a good job of, of getting to it and hooking it, you know, in a spot where it could go out of the ballpark.
0: I think Riley had to have been sitting on that slider. Like if you watch the replay, he was perfectly on it. You know, he, he was early enough to where he put it in a good spot, you know, over the, over that left field bullpen. And uh, yeah, I think he, I think he had to have known in his head that it was probably coming.
1: Yeah. Like uh, you know, it, it, it was, I believe Hoffman's most used pitch and uh, I know he threw, I think he threw a fastball right before it. So I think, Austin Riley was thinking, you know, three, two, he just threw me a fastball. It was a ball. I think he's going to go with his best pitch. You know, his best pitch was his slider Two strikes. Yeah. Two strikes. Um, he's going to go here. It's a big moment. And, uh, and yeah. And, and fortunately for Riley Hoffman, you know, miss, you know, mislocated it just, just ever so slightly. And yeah, took advantage of it. Um, so do you want to get into the final play?
0: Yeah, so it was uh, one out and a Bryce Harper at first base with Nick Castellanos at the plate. Rice Iglesias had just come in to relieve A.J. Minter, who had uh, walked Bryce Harper to lead off the inning, so Minter was no longer up and moving. And Castellanos sets a fly ball to center, and Austin Riley, or not or sorry, not Austin Riley, Michael Harris, the second, makes a tremendous catch at the wall. Um, it had a 45% catch probability according to StatCast, so... You know, it was less likely for him to make the catch than it was for him to not make the catch. And he comes down with it, throws it back in, and they double up Bryce Harper. But the the, the real MVP, the, the unsung hero of this play was Austin Riley who hit that homer because uh, the throw skipped past Ozzy Albies and Orlando Arcia at the middle infield. And Riley was right there to back up the throw. And, and he made a really nice throw over to Matt Olsen to get Harper for the final out. He kind of like sidearm shoveled it over there. And, uh, you know, I saw a tweet from a baseball coach on Twitter last night that kind of perfectly put it. Where, you know, backing up is not a scale; it's a choice. And Austin Riley made that choice, and it ultimately won the game. The won the Braves the game right there.
1: Yeah, yeah. It seemed like he knew that throw throw was coming in that direction. He came across it, cut the cut the ball path off, and you know, made a good throw. Like he was moving. It was it was like a it was almost like Arenado esque like that yeah. moving throw toward the toward the base and yeah i mean it was uh it was a pretty pretty remarkable play a pretty remarkable moment in the series i mean definitely like without a doubt one of the first one of the first and hopefully first of many like unforgettable moments from this postseason
0: yeah yeah i mean that right now that's easily game of the year with the you know the late comeback from the braves the great play to finish it off um i hope the, the riley the gets the same kind of praise that the Jeter flip play gets because it's the same kind of you know uh heads up high IQ fielding play uh that ended up saving a run or not saving a run but saving a large portion of the game late um in it and uh you know it's you know it it took and I don't blame Bryce Harper for going as far as he did on that on that uh you know on that hit because in his mind he's scoring from first and tying the game up and uh, you know, it took two really good plays to get him, which, you know, in a, in a more likely scenario, he's either still on first or he's in the dugout because he scored and it just happened to have been two really nice plays that got him.
1: Right, right. Yeah, it, it was the the fact that either of those happened. Yeah, it's it's um, it's hard to it's hard to predict something like that going going mm-hmm. down. Um, yeah. So yeah, like, I mean, yeah, that's, that's just the Braves coming through in, in big moments, which they didn't do the previous night. You know, it was, I think you, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if like what the comparison of base runners they got on um, in game two was compared to game one, because it probably wasn't that different yet they scored five more runs. So um, yeah, I mean, big home runs,
0: they only had four hits. So. Yeah, good,
1: good base running and, yeah, I know Wheeler didn't walk. At, Wheeler I think was, he walked one uh, guy. Yeah.
0: Because there um, was so thick. I know he walked. I believe it was Acuna. Um, it was one of those guys, but he walked somebody. There was Trey Turner uh, making an error at shortstop, which was the first base runner for the Braves. So I think they had six base runners in total, or seven because Acuna also got hit by a pitch. They
1: got four hits, one walk, and a hit batsman. And, and an, an error. And an error. So seven. So, yeah, they got seven base runners as opposed to, um, I gotta I gotta look at game one here.
0: They probably had more.
1: Yeah, they probably had more base runners there. Uh, they had five hits, three walks. Yeah.
0: yeah already, already more. So, yeah, I mean, hitting hitting home runs makes the difference.
1: Yeah, that's it. Uh, that's I know it.
0: people don't want to face the facts, but that's what it is. Teams that out homer their opponents, I believe, are ten and zero this postseason.
1: That's crazy. For nine,
0: nine and zero, oh, ten and zero. Oh. I think the Dodgers and Diamondbacks tied last night, right? Yeah, they had to have. just JD homered and Lourdes Curiel homered?
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I
0: think it's nine to nothing.
1: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's big because it can, you can have less, you can have less base runners than you did the the day before and score five more runs. You um, can also
0: have less than half the number of hits as your opponent and still win.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Anything more before we get into Dodgers Diamondbacks?
0: no, let's talk about this series because, oh my goodness, did I fall into the trap? I mean, I, we literally said this is a trap prediction series, and I said, yeah, I'll jump into it and see what happens, and I am, and i i I fell right into it. I'm in the quicksand right now,
1: both I'll say both felt like traps, like both predictions felt like traps because it was like, oh, I like with either prediction I had when I if I were to be wrong I would have been like uh, how did I not how did I not think it would go this way like yeah. with uh with the Dodgers losing right now I'd be like if they were gonna come through in this postseason series like they don't they, they they squander like a lot of the postseason series that they that they have whereas if I picked the Dodgers and the Dodgers were, were winning I'd be like how do I not go with the 100 win team? I mean, look at all that star power over there. They have a much better offense. They have a much better bullpen. How did I not pick them? So either way, it felt like I was going to end up stupid. And so far that's, that's the case. Um, well you had a, so it's it all starts with the first inning of game one and you had a good stat of the first two innings for the diamondbacks.
0: Yeah. So the diamondbacks in the first two innings of that game had, well, first of all, the, you know, they, they absolutely beyond teed off on Clayton Kershaw. Like, we've, had, we've seen Clayton Kershaw go through his postseason struggles. This was not even the same thing. And unfortunately, Kershaw has been battling an injury uh, throughout the year, which really sucks. Um, you know, I'm not trying to make excuses because that was beyond laying an egg. But uh, every single batted ball that Clayton Kershaw gave up was a hard hit ball. The softest hit ball he gave up was 96.7 miles an hour. Um, he gave up six runs before recording an out. I believe, right? Um, um yeah, he still. gave up six runs before giving up an out, before allowing an out. Um, three barrels, by the way, one to Catal Marte, one to Christian Walker, both doubles, and then of course the Gabriel Moreno home run, who looks fine from that concussion that he that it looked like he suffered in Game Two in Milwaukee. Um, and yeah, my goodness, Corbin Carroll homered off of Emma in that. Uh, second inning as well and in the first two innings of the game the Diamondbacks had uh, seven batted balls that were at least 100 miles an hour uh, and that is the most that any team has produced in the first two innings of a playoff game since at least 2015. Um, additionally it's the most the it's the most 100 mile per hour batted balls that the Diamondbacks have ever put up in the first two innings of any game playoff or regular season since 2015 uh, literally the best, their best two-inning performance was in the postseason, which is pretty fantastic. And then also, uh, the Diamondbacks' batters saw 77 pitches in the first two innings of that game. That is the most pitches any team has seen in the first two innings of a playoff game since at least 2008, which is when the pitch-tracking era began. So it was a pretty historic night on the stat-cast sheet for the Diamondbacks uh, to start that game.
1: Yeah, that is that is unbelievable. Um, what they were able to do, both uh, hitting the ball hard and also putting together good plate appearances, and you know putting together a lot of plate appearances. I mean, yeah. you, you can't you can't get that many pitches thrown to you if you're not if you're not getting hit after hit or walk after walk.
0: Mm-hmm. I believe um, I believe the forty two percent of all pitches thrown to the to the Diamondbacks throughout the entire game were in the first um were in those first two innings. By the way, Evan Longoria, poor guy, had five hard hit balls and went one for four.
1: That sucks. Poor guy. Um. um
0: yeah, yeah, that's tough.
1: Yeah, overall in the game, also the Diamondbacks had 14 batted balls with 102 plus mile per hour exit velocities, and that is the most in a playoff game in the StatCast era yeah. uh, of any team. So, you know, they did it in the first two innings. They also did it beyond that. Um, they were doing, I mean, just teeing off on everybody that they face pretty much for a, for an 11 to two victory.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's been, it's been rough for the, yeah, for the Dodgers. For the Dodgers. Um, we just haven't seen their offense really come to life. They've scored two runs in each of the two games. Mookie Betts, uh, does not have a hit yet. Uh, Freddie Freeman is one for what? Eight, 167 batting average. That'd be one for eight with a, with a single. Um And he was like an infield single that he barely beat out last night, right? There was the replay uh, with him and Merrill Kelly? Or no, Zach Allen, that's what it was. Merrill Kelly started game one. Uh, Will Smith is two for eight right now. Max Muncie is one for uh, nine. Or, or no, he's one for eight. Freddie's one for seven uh, with a walk. Uh, the only person that we've really seen show up for the Dodgers on offense is J.D. Martinez, who went two for three with a homer last night, so... Uh, congrats to him. But everyone else has not shown. The starting pitching hasn't shown. The offense hasn't shown. Bullpen's been fine for, you know, considering how many innings they've had to eat up this series. Uh, only three earned runs in, what, like 15-plus innings?
1: Um, yeah, like... Two games? Yeah, they... Yeah, how many runs did they give up in the first game?
0: Two, because Kershaw gave up nine, and it was an 11-2 to game.
1: Yeah. So, so yeah. Yeah. Three runs in, in 15 innings pretty much. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was, it's, it's, it has not been, not been close to ideal for, for the Dodgers um, to, or not, you know, outside of their bullpen, it's been less than ideal. Their offense. Yeah. I mean, their offense is kind of, kind of to blame for game two. You know, they didn't have the best start from Bobby Miller, but, you know. Oh, Kershaw nice. gave up
0: six. That's right. Okay, so Emmett Sheehan did give up three, but Emmett Sheehan was kind of a starter. I mean, he was supposed to be in that rotation. So not counting Emmett Sheehan. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Michael, yeah.
1: Yeah, Sheehan was in was in from, They inning, gave up know.
0: two runs from innings four or five through, uh, or yeah, four through Uh, nine. Actually, three through nine, because Emmett Sheehan gave up three in that second inning.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I forgot about that. Yeah, so other than that inning, uh, the Dodgers' bullpens looked fine, but it's also been all garbage time innings.
1: Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, as far as the Dodgers' offense goes, I mean, obviously they've only scored four runs in two games, and in game two particularly, like their their batted ball data was was not it. Uh, they had a twenty one percent sweet spot rate, as we mentioned. You want to get that uh to at least 33% 33% is average um and they were at 21% uh in that sweet spot zone and also 33% of the batted balls that they had those dodgers were negative 13 degree launch angles or lower the 2023 regular season league average was 18% dodgers were at uh 33% on the night uh the when when you hit it -13 degrees or lower you get bad results. The league slugged 135 on such batted balls uh this year and the Dodgers were 1 for 8 with a single on them um and not getting the results on those on those batted balls. So I, mean, I think part of it had to do with those Diamondbacks relievers like they you know I know Saul Frank got one of those, Ryan Thompson got I think 3 of those or something like that. He's a big sinker baller from uh from that arm from that uh sidearm slot. So you know part of it is the pitching style of the of the diamondbacks but you know the dodgers exceed off of off of offense they scored i think like maybe the second most runs in baseball this year or or uh yeah i think second most runs in baseball this year
0: behind the braves
1: behind the braves and they just haven't they haven't shown up really at all
0: no not at all um it's been Probably the most. Dis- I mean, we've seen a lot of disappointing teams in these playoffs between the Blue Jays, the Brave or the Rays. Um, the I don't even know if you. I want to say the Marlins, but like definitely the Blue Jays, the Rays, the Brewers. Uh, you know, got swept at home. The Dodgers might be the most. You know, you could argue they look worse than a lot of those teams did. Maybe not the Rays or the Blue Jays, but you know, I mean, the Brewers definitely looked better against the Diamondbacks than they do right now. And even considering their expectations of the Marlins, like you know kind of held the Phillies for a game and a half to a few yeah. runs. Um I know they didn't really score many themselves, but the Dodgers just look they look really bad right now. Like they just it, they look very uninspiring and it, it almost feels like this is a sweep waiting to happen right now. I'm not that's not I'm not saying that's my prediction, but I mean it they just it just doesn't look like they're having fun out there at all.
1: Right, right. I'll uh, reinvite. Yeah, they they have not yeah, they haven't really looked good in, in much of the respects, at least, especially like the respects you'd expect them to be good in. Like you didn't expect the best starting pitching from the Dodgers of the series. And, you know, that's been, that's been, you know, almost exaggerated Uh, by example in, in this one where, you know, they've gotten two guys that haven't been able to get, you know, past like the third inning, but their okay, offense, um, their offense is just not performing like you would expect it to perform. Um, Also, I, you know, I didn't realize uh, before uh, before the show they have a like I mentioned they had a twenty one percent sweet spot rate in Game Two. Overall in the series they have a nineteen percent sweet spot rate. That is overwhelmingly the lowest out of all twelve playoff teams uh, thus far this postseason. So, yeah, I mean they got to get it together. They obviously got to get it together quick. Um, nothing will really surprise me on the result of the series if they take it in five. I'm not really surprised. Um,
0: but I wouldn't be surprised either,
1: but if they lose, if they lose this next game, I'm also not surprised. So yeah, like I can't really take a firm stance on where I see this series going right now.
0: If, uh, if the Dodgers lose to the Diamondbacks and Padres and the NLDS in back-to-back years, are we just calling Shohei automatic?
1: That is (laughs)
0: because something drastic has to happen. If they're losing, in the first round to a division rival in two straight years. I don't think they're going to fire Dave Roberts. I don't think they're going to fire Andrew Friedman. Some major overhaul is going to be made, and it might just be, we can't let Shohei Otani slip. Like, we have to, have to, have to do it. And I know that, like, you know, there's a lot of question marks right now with his with the fact that he's not pitching for a year, with the fact that he might not be hitting for some of next year. But, I mean, <laughs> something's got to happen. Right. And I mean, I know that like a lot of just tough things have come the Dodgers way this year, especially with the rotation, because, you know, if you ask Andrew Friedman in like June, who is going to be in his playoff rotation, he's probably thinking some degree of Kershaw, of of Dustin May, of Tony Gonsolin, of Julio Urias, and then maybe Walker Bueller. Um, And obviously, uh, a lot of that didn't go to plan. Obviously, Urias, you know, the less said about that, the better. You can blame the Dodgers for it. You can blame Arias for it. But, you know, that obviously is an off-the-field issue that ultimately, you know, a lot of people probably didn't foresee in in June or July or whenever it happened. Um, Gonsolin got Tommy John surgery. May got his second Tommy John surgery. um, And they tried to get Eduardo Rodriguez at the deadline. And obviously, you know, he he waived his no-trade clause. Or he, uh, not waived his no-trade clause, but he, you know, declined the option to go there. Um, and you know, some of it is tough luck, some of it is uh the fact that maybe they just didn't supply the team with a good enough rotation to compete in October. Um, but you know, I think something's going to happen this offseason, uh, big if they lose this series,
1: yeah. And it's it seemed like they were kind of saving up for them, you know, they didn't have a they didn't really have a they had
0: Noah Syndergaard start the third game of the year,
1: yeah, like they didn't have let's
0: let's be for real,
1: they didn't have a very productive. Off season, most recently you know usually they have a great offseason but this was not the case you know they lost Trey Turner Justin Turner and um Tyler Anderson as well who was you know let's not forget very good for them last year um so and and then they didn't really supplement that talent well enough which is why you know I kind of went with the Padres for uh for for the NL West and why I thought they were going to win you know luckily for the Dodgers they were they did they won that uh division handily. But yeah, I don't know if it's a thing where like this roster is constructed for the regular season and not the postseason. That seems ca- kind of like a false notion, but still like how can you really argue like it's it's hard to argue against it when you know they've lost five straight postseason games and some of them just like game one was not really competitive at all. Yeah, like it's it's hard not to Think about what's going on with them in the postseason right now.
0: Yeah, um, let's talk about the let's show some di- the Diamondbacks some love for a second because I don't want to make this this entire conversation revolving around the Dodgers being bad because the Diamondbacks have looked really really impressive, uh, this postseason. Like I was worried about that offense and it looks good. Like they're they're hitting for power, they're hitting for contact. Like Corbin Carroll looks like a stud in these postseason games. I think he has, like a sixteen hundred OPS through four games. Uh, he's hit two home runs, both of them just mammoth shots. Gabriel Moreno uh, looks like, I think I saw someone on Twitter say he's got to be the best, like, 104 OPS-plus hitter of all time right now because he looks like a legitimate threat at the plate. Uh, the rotation, the bullpen has looked excellent. I mean, like, Paul Seawald has been a lockdown closer. They've had guys come in and get big outs, whether it's Kevin Ginkle, whether it's Andrew Solfrank uh Brian Thompson, like everyone has been a reliable, you know, guy for them in these in these playoffs.
1: Yeah, no, much, much credit to the Diamondbacks, you know, should be thrown their way. Like mm-hmm. you know, they look like they're potentially a threat in the NL West, you know, from uh for the next few years here. And yeah, they're just they're just showing it. Like the as you mentioned, that bullpen coming through in big moments, like guys like Thompson and Cell Frank are getting you know, good ground balls Uh, when, when the moment, you know, needs them to. And, you know, that bullpen, I didn't have high, high expectations for heading, heading into this postseason. And, you know, they're showing me why I'm wrong. You know, they're, they're playing, Uh, they're pitching excellent. And, you know, I think they've only given up two runs so far in the postseason.
0: Where do we look? You know, I think we got to look at, the uh Dalton Far show trade where they acquired both Gabriel Moreno and Lordescore Jr., who's looked great for them all year and Homer last night, as like not only the best trade that they made in the offseason and the best like additions that they made, and one of the best additions that any team made uh last year, but also like just one of the best trades that the franchise has ever made, right? Because Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling were both uh free agent signings, or was Kurt Schilling a trade?
1: I think both free agent signings. Yeah, yeah. I,
0: I know Randy Johnson was definitely a free agent signing. I'm pretty sure Schilling was as well. Uh, Like, who else? Like, what are the most memorable Diamondbacks trades of all time? Mike Lee. I guess, I guess Gallon for Chisholm, right? Yeah. That's probably the best one in franchise history. But that one's got to be up there.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like, especially, like, you know, this was... If the we probably predicted if the, if the Diamondbacks were going to win this trade, it was going to play out over a longer period of time where Moreno, you know, he's, he's coming up, he's excelling. Um, and, you know, Varsho, like, you know, he kind of runs out of team control, whereas that's not the case. The Diamondbacks are winning from pretty much day one. They've been winning uh, this, this trade, which is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I wouldn't have predicted. Um I mean, Varsho, At least for this year, I
0: I liked. I think Barsha was overall an upgrade for the Blue Jays. I know that he didn't perform offensively the way you hoped, but um, like he made them a much better team on defense. You know, we talked about it with Mark Simon, um, and I still think he's gonna look good for them in the future. But I mean, the Diamondbacks, the return that the Diamondbacks got has been very excellent. I've I've always liked Gabriel Moreno, but I he's all you know the fact that he's already a league average bat and a really really good uh defensive catcher with throwing specifically is a huge bonus Uh, actually the offense is a bonus really but he's a really good catcher behind the plate and i mean we saw the power you know he hit that that moonshot off a curse shot in the first inning and he has two in the postseason so far
1: yeah absolutely like yeah i mean there's something something to be said about the diamondbacks they're they're coming through
0: the fact that they started brandon Fodd in game one instead of their two legitimate postseason pitchers uh and it looks like the perfect move. Like, it's it's been pretty remarkable.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't think it was necessarily their choice. No, it tra- wasn't.
0: But, I mean, you know, they could have pushed Gallon out there on three days rest, and no one would have really baddened an eye at the time. You know, I don't think there was anyone saying, like, they got to start Brandon Fod game one against Corbin Burns, right?
1: Yeah, probably not. Probably not. Um. But, yeah, they did it. And, you know, ultimately – it's just like, it's, every everything's clicking. Everything's clicking yeah. over there in Arizona. They're another yeah. team that has gotten four road victories and are coming back home to probably a rowdy crowd. Um, it's going to be hard to get it done for the Dodgers.
0: Yeah, no, it's going to be tough, but it's going to be, I'm very intrigued to see what that, what postseason chase field looks like right now, especially with the Dodgers in town, because it's not uncommon for the Dodgers to come into Arizona and have a lot of Dodger blue in the crowd, but, you know, I'm very much wondering. Like, is Arizona gonna take over now that they're up 2 Is it? Are they gonna take over because it's the first postseason games they've seen since 2017? Are Dodgers fans gonna avoid going because they're down zero two? Like, I'm very excited to see what that home crowd looks like against a a not only division rival, but a team that like the Diamondbacks clearly really want to beat.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it'll it'll be it'll be very it'll be very interesting to see. Yeah. Um, anything more before uh, we wrap this up?
0: Uh no, I'm very excited to see uh games three and you know the, the couple game fours that we have guaranteed and maybe the other game fours that we might end up seeing and hopefully some game fives.
1: Yeah, hoping for a, hoping for a winner take all because we've only yes. had we've only had two since the 2021 NLDS. Uh so we'd love to love to have more of them. Um all right, well that does it for this installment of Above Replacement Radio, we hope you enjoyed this one. If you are listening on the Apple podcast or Spotify and want to watch the conversation, as it happens go to the YouTube channel, it is called Above Replacement Radio. And if you want to follow us on social media, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta uh, and follow at Daniel underscore Curran on both Twitter and Instagram um, at Daniel underscore Curran and follow the show Instagram at Above Replacement Radio for all the show needs. We hope you enjoyed this one and we hope to see you next time where, where we will be talking where we will be probably yeah recapping the lds's and previewing the lcs's we will see you then this conversation this conversation is over is over